This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Very cool episode today. Thanks for tuning in for it. Today, we'll be talking about fitness, stress, and readiness with our experts, breaking down TriDot's methodology for measuring what is happening to your body each step of the way in a training cycle. It's going to be great stuff. First up, joining us for this conversation is TriDot founder and CEO, Jeff Boer. Jeff is the chief architect behind TriDot's insight optimization technology that powers TriDot. He's a multiple-time Ironman finisher and has been coaching since 2003 from the Olympic level to more than a dozen pro triathletes, multiple national champions, and literally hundreds of amazing age group athletes. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to the show. Absolutely. I was, it's been a while. I was beginning to, to think maybe I've been canceled or something. So, <laughs> Beginning to think, you know, I should have invited you uh, last week onto the podcast episode. That, that was a hit. <laughs> that was great. That was... Uh, also joining us today and also not on the podcast was Coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads Tridots Athlete Services Ambassador and Coaching Programs. He's coached hundreds of athletes ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using Tridot since 2010 and coaching with Tridot since 2012. John, are you ready to nerd out on some tri training metrics today? I, I suppose. I think it's going to be tough. I mean, we have uh, not only the podcast, but several other episodes we've had recently have, have really been been solid. So we we've got a, a a high bar to live up to. It's kind of like we're we're the ones having to follow up on that really killer act or something like that. And I feel like. Yeah, we got to keep it keep it going. I believe in you guys. It's going to be great. I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we will roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with the cool down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time, time, time to warm up. Let's get moving. Every winter, college football has its bowl season where most university football teams play their final game of the season in a bowl game. Some of these have national championship implications and the rest are largely for bragging rights. Every bowl game has a title sponsor or two and it's become a punchline amongst college football fans in the U.S. how ridiculous some of the bowl game names have become and how many games there are now. Uh, Bowl season has ballooned up to 44 games, allowing 88 college football teams into the college postseason. Uh, a few of the bowl games in the 2021 bowl schedule were the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, where Western Kentucky beat Appalachia State 59-38. The Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle, where Utah State beat Oregon State 24-13. And... My personal favorite, the Cheez-It Bowl, where Clemson beat Iowa State 20-13. to Now, during the latest run of the college bowl games here in the U.S., Trotout Ambassador Brian Mull asked this question on the I Am Trotout Facebook group. When are we going to see the Trotout Bowl? Are you really a company if you don't have a bowl game? I totally see uh, Brian's logic here. This comment, you know, of course, was made in jest, uh, but it got me wondering. 
If Tridot were to sponsor a sporting event as the title sponsor, what would you want it to be? And, and Jeff Boer, as our founder and CEO, while I had you on the show, I thought this was the perfect oral question to ask you. If, if we were to sponsor a sporting event, what sporting event, Jeff, would you like to see a sponsor? That's hilarious. Well, the obvious choice is a triathlon. Um, so let's sure. do you know, some big triathlon <laughs> event. But barring the obvious, um, I thought of the wing bowl. Okay. You familiar with the wing bowl? I'm not familiar with the wing bowl. No, is this another actually, college bowl? Or? No, it's uh, competitive eating. It's a sport. And oh. I know you've probably seen it, the hot dogs and all that kind of stuff. But there's a wing bowl that went for like 26 years in Philly. Um, and they eat as many wings. I think the the reigning champion, I think they canceled it a few years back, that the reigning champion ate 51 wings in 30 minutes. Wow. Uh, she was incredible. I can't remember. I feel like I can do that. Something. I think I can get it. So I thought from a triathlon, as much carbs and, and food, you know, as much energy as we need and calories. Sure. Let's complement all of that work with the wing bowl, a competitive eating. Yeah. You know, Nathan's already has kind of a monopoly on the hot dog eating uh, circuit as a sponsor. Yep. But yeah, we could be the title sponsor of the wing bowl, uh, you know, brought to you by Tridot. And I, I, I think it would take me probably a month to eat 51 wings personally. But, uh, you know, some people have a different gift for eating than I do. So. Uh, John Mayfield, what is, uh, what is your answer here? What sporting event would you like to see Tridot be the title sponsor of? So uh, a lot of familiar with my background, um, in, in golf and being a, a longtime golf fan. So just over the past weekend, uh, around Easter time had, uh, the masters, uh, but I am not going to claim the masters simply because Ooh. no one does, uh, which Plot is twist. one of the cool <laughs> things about the masters, the masters, the masters, it doesn't need a sponsor. Uh, it's got its own soundtrack and all that, so it, it doesn't need sponsors or anything like that. So I, I'm definitely not going to impede on the tradition uh, that is the Masters. But uh, the Houston Open uh, for a long time was the Shell Houston Open, but the last couple of years, uh, that event has not had a sponsor. So the PGA stop Ooh. here in my hometown of Houston uh, currently doesn't have a title sponsor, so perhaps it could be the Tridot Houston Open uh, someday. Perhaps so. And perhaps as a part of being the title sponsor, we can write into the contract for John Mayfield to get a playing slot in the Houston Open where he would get destroyed by the actual PGA golfers. But And he would be my first right. round of golf in, in like six <laughs> years. But maybe I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I think Bach would uh, enjoy it a little more. So Matt, uh, maybe we'll get a play. We put our foursome together and we'll, we'll do that. Sure. Yep. I hear I'm kind of taking a similar route, John. Uh, I love tennis uh, all through my childhood in high school, college, uh, I was a pretty fairly competitive tennis player in the state of Florida. And I love watching the major tournaments every single year, the grand slams, Wimbledon, us open, French open, uh, and the Australian open. And, and actually this past year, Kia, uh, I drive a Kia vehicle and Kia was a, a title sponsor for one of the tournaments. I forget which one now. Uh, but I was amped just to see like a Kia logo all over the court. And I was like, Hey, I have that car. So I would just be even more excited if there was a tried out logo all over you know, the, the background behind as, uh, as Roger Federer is playing, uh, on, on the, the, the main court of, of Wimbledon or the U S open. Um, so selfishly, that would be my pick. Um, Jeff, I feel like, you know, as a company, just strategically, it would be most strategic to sponsor something triathlon. So, so we have to say that, um, I think it'd be really cool to, to sponsor the Collins cup, um, of all the triathlon broadcasts I've watched over the past couple of years, you know, between PTO and super league triathlon, Ironman, you know, the, the, the tri world is getting better at, right at broadcasting their races. And, um, the, you know, the couples championship was just broadcast. And, um, I, in all the things I've watched the, the live broadcast for the Collins cup was so fun to watch. It was such a cool format, just three pros duking it out at, at, at a time, starting at different times. And, 
uh, I don't know, for, for Trout Out to be the sponsor and see Trout Out logos all over that probably makes a little bit more sense than us sponsoring a, a wing eating competition or a tennis yep. tournament or a yep. golf tournament. Uh, so I'll say the Collins Cup as well. But guys, we're going to throw this question out to you as we always do. Uh, uh, you know, what, what all the sporting events you watch, the, the, the crazy eating contests you watch, whatever you're aware of uh, out there in the world, if Trout Out were to be the title sponsor of something, what would you want it to be? Uh, we'll throw this question out to the Iron Trout Out Facebook group. So make sure you're a member of that, and I uh, can't wait to see what you have to say. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Ketones are nature's super fuel, and a team here at Tridot has been learning from Oxford University professor Kieran Clark, founder and CEO of T-Delta-S Global, about the benefits of drinking the revolutionary Oxford ketone ester. My new favorite way to start the day is with a ketone-boosted cup of coffee. It's a must on those days where I need to be dialed in for anything from triathlon training to podcast recordings. The team at Delta G created the Delta Gold Coffee Booster after research showed just how well ketones and caffeine work together. Delta Gold Coffee Booster truly empowers you to start your day like there's some extra watts firing in your brain. The team at Delta G even offers free 15-minute one-on-one consultations where you can learn more about fueling your workouts or starting your day with Delta Gold Coffee Booster. You can book a call quick and easy at deltagketones.com. So head to the website, deltagketones.com, and book your free 15-minute consultation. When you place your order, use code TRYOUT20 to get 20% off your Superfuel Ketone drinks. If you are a triathlete who loves this sport enough to listen to a guy named Andrew the Average Triathlete talk about triathlon every single Monday, then you are definitely the kind of triathlete that likes to track your workouts and your progress as an athlete. In our sport, terms like fitness, training stress, peaking, recovery time, readiness, they're all thrown around as we chit-chat about our training. But have you ever stopped to consider how these terms are being used? and whether or not they are helpful in examining our ability as an athlete. That's what we'll do today as Jeff and John talk us through fitness, stress, and readiness. Now, guys, on the Tridot app under training metrics, there is a whole tab that displays our fitness, stress, and readiness in what we call the FSR chart. It's been there for a while now, and as an athlete, honestly, it's just pretty cool to, to click on it and kind of peek at what's going on uh, as, as I built into some of my races last year. Um, so, so, so start just kind of by telling us this, you know, what inspired the decision to give athletes a window by which to visualize their fitness? I think it started quite a while ago. There's so many things that we, we want to show and to help athletes understand what they're doing and why, Sure, I guess that's the biggest thing behind it. So, you know, when you're, you know, bodybuilding, you know, you know, where your bicep is and your delta, you can point to things. Um, but when, how do, where do you point to your readiness or your sure. fitness or your stress. It's, it's they're abstract. I, I, can, I can see that bicep getting bigger <laughs> uh, month to month to month. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's that I love, there's a, a quote I love. It's you can't solve a problem if you don't have the words to describe it. You can't even think about it clearly. And so it's, it starts with the way that we define words and terms. And when we're innovating, pioneering in different areas, we're very purposeful in that. And then that word starts to shape the concept or how you think about solving the problem. And then from there, like, how do you visualize that? When it's an abstract thing that you're affecting fitness, stress, readiness, you know, how do you visualize that? How do you help people visualize it? So um, that's kind of what the inspiration was to visualize it kind of back to kind of stepping back. There's a visualization, there's a concept and all the way back to the words. 
um, and the understanding what those words mean so that when you're you're executing your training, you're understanding the why behind it. When you're committing to a week or a month or a whole, you know, several week or month phase of training, you're committing yeah. to that. It's important to understand why are things, you know, training loads going up and down, stress and all that to understand it better. So, but it all starts with the words. If you can't understand what the words mean specifically. And I started, I did a little research going into this. I've always been a, a nuance like that, you know, that quote I said, if you don't have the words to describe something, you can't solve the problem or think about it clearly. I actually watched a, um, uh, a TED talk and, and the lady was talking about um, how words of different cultures shape the way those whole cultures think and how, you know, there were, you know, Native American tribes that didn't have a word for ownership. And so they viewed things very differently communally mm, than other people. Yeah. Um, and I know even, you know, the word, you know, dialogue for us to communicate. I did some research on that and then the science of, of dialogue, it means through words or through reason. And that's how we communicate without words. You can't reason, you know, and um, even in, you know, in, in the Bible it talks about, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So there's this concept of word bringing meaning and, you know, in legal contracts, you know, up front there, they define, have this whole big, I mean, it could be pages long of definitions of here's what we mean when we use this word. So there's no ambiguity about it and you can't argue later. You've all agreed to that. And you, you give yeah. like the, the Native American example of, of them not having a word for ownership, that there's also the flip side where a, a culture has more words for something than others. So I mean, to me, as a, as a Texan who was born in Florida, I have one word for snow. And for our, yep. <laughs> our, our, our substantial amount of Canadian listeners and athletes who we, who we love dearly, I know that, that Canadians, I, I know, you know, Inuit communities uh, in, in Alaska and Canada, that they have tons of words to describe snow because you know, there's different nuances there. Whereas to me, it's all just white snow, right? And, and so it's interesting, like, like even the, the more you understand something, the more you, you know about something, the more words you typically have to describe that something. Absolutely. One of that same TED Talk, um, she there's an Aboriginal Australian Aborigine um, culture. I don't know what you call it, a group of people anyway. They don't use right and left to refer to directions. They use the the like north northwest. Like it's okay. no, you know to my north northwest. Doesn't matter where you're facing. It's always to that direction. And so okay. you would never say that. And so every time you think about anything, you're giving those directions. You're not saying right or left. It's not relative to anyone. So it doesn't matter if we're facing each other. We say the same direction. You know, okay. and she said those people actually don't get lost like we do. Like if they're in a building <laughs> walking around a maze in a downtown, point to north, you know, north by northeast, and they'll point because they're just oriented on that in, in the way that they think. Wow. It was fascinating. In our context, again, you know, the whole thing, all that legal, social, you know, it, it's about um, those examples are to say how much, how important it is that the words that we use are specific and accurate to convey ideas, express mentalities. So as we're looking at words in training, trying to solve training problems, improve fitness, increase you know, efficiency of your training, um, when we're doing that, it's, it's important to have those right words to solve those problems. And then in this case, articulate that, visualize that so that people understand, you know, what is fitness? What is stress? What is readiness? What is a rest day? What is, you know, these other terms so that we're understanding so we can buy into and commit to our training. Uh, we can perform it better. We can get more out of it. And so it just becomes very, very important. So kind of as we go through these, uh, I think, you know, seeing that important importance helps us just to pause a second and like really internalize, okay, what are the nuances of that and and why does it matter to me? And it's important to distinguish, you know, TriDot since its inception has managed athletes' fitness, athletes' training stress, 
and how ready you are on race day, but behind the scenes. And so it's just for the first time, you know, that there's actually a chart that athletes can visualize to, to see a little bit of what's happening behind the scenes. Correct. That's correct. The word tried out itself didn't exist for the first five years of optimized <laughs> training. There wasn't a word for tried us. What are these? They're the relative benchmark numbers to yeah. compare your disciplines, swim, bike and run. And you know, that didn't get a name until about 2009, 2010. Very you know, cool. But it was still in the background being being done, but we just didn't have to express it or communicate it to anyone. So it, at the time it had a, a dumb name, um, but now it has, you know, uh, something a that better we can name. easily talk about. Yes, a better name. So, so in a few specific previous podcast episodes, you know, we've had some great discussion with our coaches about, um, you know, what, what is power? What is stamina? What is, what is endurance? What does it mean to build these things? And, and a few other terms that relate to triathlon training. And the, the first big one for today that we're talking about is the word fitness. When we refer to an athlete's fitness, what does that refer to, uh, to, to, to say our fitness, my fitness? So, uh, first I ask you, I think it's a lot of times it's used correctly, but a lot of, a lot of times it's, it's not, it is not a reference to your performance ability. And that's how, when I hear it used wrong, incorrectly, um, that's often how it is when someone will say, um, you know, my fitness isn't where it should be. So I don't expect to do that good on this race or, yeah. or I don't yeah, know if yeah. you've heard things like that. Have you heard anything? So it, it's, it's funny you say that because like it, it's never the other side. You, you never have an athlete say, <laughs> oh, my fitness is so good. I'm going to destroy this race. Like people don't usually like, it's always like, oh my, my fitness isn't where I want it to be. So I'm, I'm kind of managing my expectations for this race. Um, you know, it's like, it can't, can we just put our, our training together the way we should so that we can have our fitness be where we want it? Uh, but, but, but yes, that, that's the context where when athletes are just chit chatting and they refer to their fitness, you know, it's, oh man, I, I really just destroyed my 5k assessment. You know, my, my run fitness has never yeah. been better. Uh, it, it's always in a context like that when you hear athletes talking and throwing around the word fitness. Yep. So that, that's the first kind of differentiation point is separating performance ability, um, from fitness. So the, there's, there's several classic examples. They're all very similar physical fitness. So this is just even beyond training as athletes, but just general physical fitness. Here's the, the definition. Something very similar to this you, you find on the internet anywhere. The ability to carry out your daily tasks, work or play with vigor and alertness without undue fatigue, with ample energy to enjoy leisure time pursuits and meet unforeseen emergencies. So that whole last part is, is without the undue fatigue. You can sure. do fun stuff, you can do your work, but the key part is the ability to carry out your daily tasks, work and play with vigor and alertness without undue fatigue. So that is a description of, of your ability, your workload. So if we translate that to training, fitness is your ability to sustain a specific workload, sustain it, that's the daily, without undue fatigue. So ample energies to meet the demands of your regular daily life, your routine, maintain a state of good health, good mental well-being, you're not getting burnt out. So fitness is your ability to sustain a specific workload without undue fatigue. It's not how fast can you run a 5K. It's not your, you know, 20K time trial. It's not your, any of those things is not what fitness is describing. Those are all performance ability metrics and those are all race specific, you know, based on your duration, based on the race, you know, performance ability. So there's that, that difference and they're, they, they're related. Um, so we use a term called normalized training load to quantify your fitness. So okay. that is the load that you are able to sustain in, without undue fatigue uh, for a long period of time. The higher that load is, there's a cost of maintaining that load. So the higher that value gets up there relative to the person, you could spend all of your energy and all of your time maintaining a load 
of fit, just doing the work and recovering from it and not get any faster. You could have a reduced training load, normalized training load, and actually be able to increase your fitness because you're able to work harder on certain days and you have these peaks and you know, you're managing those other types of training stress more effectively. So yeah. that training load needs to be relative to your ability, to your age, to the other things in life, your commitment to the sport, you know, hours available to train, all of that. And so more is not better. More training load is not better um, necessarily. That, Can that, be. that makes me think, Jeff, like when you put it in that context, I, I immediately think of like a athlete like uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, with his muscle mass versus Andrew mm -hmm. The Average Triathlete and my muscle mass. He, he has to eat a certain amount of calories just to maintain the muscle mass that exists exactly. on his body. And if I tried to eat the calories that he eats, I don't need that many calories uh, to sustain the muscle mass that is on my body. Uh, and that, that's what I, what I kind of thought of there as you're talking about just just kind of the training load you need to maintain your current level of fitness. That's exactly right. The calories is exactly the same. The other thing on our, the cardiovascular, there's, there's an amount of exercise that it takes to do certain things to maintain that. And when you're in so many calories or to maintain your muscle mass in the rocks case, that those calories can't be used for other things. Yeah. You're, you're using your skin, so much of your available ability to adapt and improve is spent just maintaining that load. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They associate these high volumes with better and, and I'm losing fitness. It doesn't matter if you lose fitness, if that's what you need to do, increase performance. Your objective is to improve sure. your performance, not to maintain a high load. But a lot of times, you know, people brag about their load. I did this much this week. I did, and it becomes an ego thing, not really a performance improvement thing. And they get, you know, sabotage themselves. And then your, your fitness level, air quotes here, your level is going to vary based on your daily task. Think about, um, you know, say if you're, if you're recovering from an injury or an illness, you know, in, in that time, you know, your load is different, uh, a sedentary person versus a very active person. They're going to have very different activity levels, training for long versus short. There's different training loads associated with the amount of work necessary to do that event. And then relative to that, how much should you do to be able to improve your performance while carrying that training load to do that event? Um, and so that's where the level of fitness should be moderated based on your ability, based on your age, based on all of these other things, knowing how much potential you have to improve during that time. So that NTL, that normalized training load, needs to be high enough to allow you to safely complete the necessary training and also improve your performance ability. Not so much that you don't have any capacity left to improve your performance ability. But the unnecessarily high, flip side of that, unnecessarily high NTL uh, can result, you know, that can come at the expense of performance gains, at the expense of, you know, increased injury risk. Um, yeah. You're not doing anything other than maintaining this high load. So it's not a matter of, of how much you train, what that load is, but um, how you train. How you train is much, much, much more important than how much you train. Sure. Yeah, which which that harkens back to our cornerstone podcast episode, the power statement of paradox, where mm -hmm. we kind of learned about that, the, the nuances of that relationship between uh, tr you know training, you know th th those times you need to take on a bigger load to train for a certain stamina, versus uh, just being able to work on your performance and train you know more more to increase your power, power or skill or you know form or any number of different things. So as we talk about stress, you know, we've talked on the podcast before about how several of the popular stress tracking metrics are, are really just accumulation metrics. You know, they, they just tell you how much work you've been doing. You know, talk to us about the nuances of measuring training stress. There's one, one aspect um, just with the NTS. So we have two categories, I guess, is the best way to approach it. A normalized training stress and residual training stress. So in that first category, the normalized training stress 
that is, is not just an average intensity times your duration or anything simple like that. It's actually looking at each session's discipline type. There's different amounts and different types of stress with swimming, biking, running. They're different. Um, the, in the environment that you're in, you have to normalize, you know, environment normalize that doing the same exact amount of work in heat and humidity or altitude is much different than sea level. There's the intensity distribution. How's that distrib distributed across time? If you do, you know, threshold for 10 minutes, that, that second 10 minutes is not just twice as hard as the first. It, it becomes, you know, exponentially harder the longer that you go over, over time. And it depends again on your, on your, um, ability, your, your, um, performance level in doing that and what you're able to sustain, then the intensity levels themselves going beyond threshold is not just, you know, 10% faster than your threshold pace is not 10% more stressful, you know, and then the duration of each of those. So there's how it's broken up. And then there's your, you know, training stress profile. How well, how well do you absorb stress from, you know, genetically your age, how long you've been doing the sport. So your ability to absorb it, the distribution of it, the duration of it, the type of it, the, the intensity level, and how those rate and then the discipline type. So we, we articulate and quantify all of that when we measure the stress and think of that NTS as, and we, I think we have a whole podcast on this. We do have a whole Probably podcast on NTS. Yep. Um, so I'll stop with that, but it's, it's think of NTS is quantifying a session's stress, the physiological stress from that session. Like how hard was it? But everyone knows if you go into a really hard threshold set and then you go do a really hard you know, zone six, like, you know, big gear work set. Those are going to have different residual effects over time. One, you might be sore for days. The other, you might be recovered in a couple of days. You know, even though they're both very hard, you couldn't have gone any more on that day, but they're, they're different. Um, so RTS, residual training stress, measures that residual or that lingering effect after that workout. And that's going to affect different people differently. Each of the zones we're measuring, you know, neurological stress, muscular stress, aerobic stress, threshold stress. So, you know, the older you get the, that neurological stress, you don't recover from as fast as some of the other types of stress. So that may affect an older athlete more. And so that RTS is also depicted on that graph, the FSR chart. Um, and so we really distinguish in those two ways. So one is how much can an athlete take in the NTS when we're prescribing training? We're also looking at the RTS associated with that. So what will the lingering effects of that be by discipline, by intensity, by duration, by intensity distribution, and, and all of those other factors? Um, so it's not just the, the RTS, and there's different half-lives for each of those in intensity types. So they're going to decay that amount of stress. How, how much quickly do you absorb it and recover from it? Um, different energy systems, different, you know, all of that. So, um, so, so Jeff, you do Jeff that. I want to, um, cause I've heard you talk a little more in depth about that before. And I, I, it's one of the most fascinating things to, to me as an athlete, like, like when you talk about the half-life of, uh, training stress. So, so just, just to give people a tangible example, you know, when you have a workout that, that takes you, you know, anaerobic into zone five and six versus just the training stress you get from going zone two and zone three, you know, what, what, what is the difference there in the half-life of the, the stress that's put on your body? Well, it's, I don't have specific numbers. Yeah, it's sure. going to depend because, and, and it does vary based on the age and the genetics of the person. But think about your, your exercising and your straining, putting stress on different systems. You're stressing your cardiovascular system primarily. Others, you're stressing your musculoskeletal system. So the others, you're stressing your nervous system. You know, sometimes you're doing all of that. You're, you know, um, but as you do those different things, those different systems take different times you know, uh, different lengths of time to absorb that training. So okay. you're going to benefit 
from it. It may take longer to to have that, you know, the the reaction from it to absorb it and to get that triggered response that you're looking for, and then recover from it, being able to do it again. That's fascinating. Uh, so again, back to your you know TSP, your training stress profile. Uh, there's there's values for each each athlete on how much can you take in one session, how much can you take over a micro cycle a week or a meso cycle or like a month, you know, and and sometimes you can take a high dose, high single doses, but you can't do it very often. Other you know athletes as they age, they can take it more consistently, but not a whole lot all at once. And so optimizing that is is key, and you have to divide those out. You know, NTS normalized training stress for the session, RTS that residual training stress after, and then stride all those you know based on the type what is the composition of that RTS value? And so this, this chart just shows that kind of quantitatively is where you can look at it and you can visualize and see what's happening. You'll see the spikes and the ups and downs associated with, you'll see the lagging, you know, inverse relationship between those high, high degree of, you know, stress on one day, then your readiness drops the next, you know, and see those relationships. But yeah, I, I would encourage everybody to, uh, to kind of, to go back after listening to the episode, you know, next time you're on your computer or your phone and you have, uh, tried out pulled up on your computer or phone to to look at the NTS chart or, or rather look at the FSR chart while listening to Jeff uh, say that explanation about NTS and RTS and just talk about the two and, and kind of get a visual for exactly what Jeff's talking about there because it is really interesting to see visualized. I'm a visual learner, right? I mean, there's auditory learners, kinetic learners, and visual learners. I'm a visual learner, so um, that that's just how I think in terms of uh, you know taking what you're hearing on a podcast and making it sink in. Now, John, a little earlier, Jeff alluded to the question, do I need a rest day? And, and this is a question I, I hear from Trotout athletes. I see posted to the group from time to time. Um, so so since Trotout is tracking training stress and it's quantifying what we all need day-to-day in our training, do we, in fact, need a rest day? Absolutely. So uh, I think this is going to come back to to things that, that Jeff was talking about earlier and in understanding and, and what are definitions and and what do what do words mean? So, do you need a rest day? Absolutely. I don't think anyone um, is ever going to prescribe seven days a week of high intensity sessions for swimming, cycling, and running. Um, so, yes, you need a break from from high intensity sessions in the swim, bike, and run uh, every day of the week. So, from there, it's really determining what does what does rest mean and and what is that relative value to you? As we talked about. Um, before rest for someone who is recovering from sickness or illness may mean not getting out of bed all day long. Uh, rest is going to mean something different for someone that lives a sedentary lifestyle, as opposed to someone who is training for an Ironman. Um, so a rest day is not necessarily a day off. Um, we, we train in, in three disciplines and it's, uh, pretty rare that, uh, you would actually have, uh, to do each of those swim, bike, and run in a day outside of a race. It, it may happen occasionally, but vast majority of the time, uh, you are, are engaging in one or two of the three disciplines. So technically, every day is a rest day. So for example, um, I have I have cycling on my, my training plan today. I'm not swimming, I'm not running, so I am resting from those. I'm resting those energy systems, I'm resting those specific physi- physiologies. Um, so in that regard, um, that is a rest day. So I'm not taking the entire day off uh, because there's opportunities, uh, opportunity costs to that. So if I do nothing, then I'm not doing something else. I'm not doing training um, to to make those those gains. So uh, rest is a period of time where your RTS is allowed to decline. So uh, there are uh, ebbs and flows to that. It is prudent for um, your residual training stress to to come and go. That's how we we stress the body and then we allow the body to to recover. Uh, and it is done so in those times where, where RTS 
um, is down. For example, uh, in the months leading up into an Ironman uh, triathlon, you're, you're going to be training under a, a heavy load. Um, you're going to have stressful sessions. You're going to have long sessions. You're not going to necessarily feel rested um, very often in that time. And, and that's largely an expectation of Ironman training. Um, now, once you get close to, to race day and you begin to taper, that is when um, it's important to begin to feel uh, more, more rested. So um, monitoring your readiness can provide insights um, as to, to how your, your rest is, is planned. Uh, you're going to see that ebb and flow within a, a microcycle. So you're going to see those days where your training stress is higher, um, where the, the NTS for a session is high. Uh, you may have a couple days in a row where you have a couple sessions that are a higher NTS, and then you're going to see uh, lower NTS uh, values for those individual sessions. And along with that, uh, you're going to see that that readiness um, ebb and flow as well, up and down. So that's where your rest is coming in. Uh, and I think that's also something that, that we can look forward to as an um, indication of what's even coming in our training and how our training is laid out. A lot of times, um, what we'll see as an athlete says, I don't feel completely great today. So I'm going to back off the duration. I'm going to back off the intensity, or I'm just going to skip a session because I feel tired or, or maybe they're looking at a metric that says, you know, you're, you're not yet recovered. Well, when you look at even like these, these readiness charts, you can see that you're not supposed to be ready. You're not supposed to be race ready. Uh, when your race is, is weeks or months away, you're not supposed to be fully rested, um, when you're in the middle of a, of a small cycle where you're, you're looking to make these adaptations mm, through higher sure. intensity, higher training stress sessions. So what, what you can see by looking at that chart is to say, well, yeah, I've got two or three days here that are going to be tough. Uh, there's going to be a good bit of training stress in these days, but um, for the next two or three days, that, that training stress is going to, to drop. Uh, the RTS is going to go down. RTS 7 is going to drop. And inverse to that, that readiness is going to to go up, and that's going to be indicative of of rest and recovery adaptation uh, from those days of training. So if uh, you're using some of those, even uh, I don't know, real time would be the right word, but uh, it's it's not always. Um, if you don't necessarily feel like doing the session, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Um, obviously, we want to be safe and prudent, um, make make safe and smart adaptations. But just because you're, you're, I did a hard session yesterday and I'm feeling it today, that doesn't necessarily mean that you skip or reduce or modify today's session because of that. So, uh, you know, again, this is just a graphical representation of what's happening in your training and provide some insights um, as to as to how your training is is flowing because that's that's basically how we we increase our our performance ability is measured stress to the body and then allowing the body to recover and make those adaptations. Yeah, I absolutely just 10 out of 10, John, love the explanation of, of the, the differentiating between a rest day and a day off. You know, th those two are not the same. And I, I think of that there's been several times that I've gone into a Sunday uh, run workout and my legs were blasted from the previous day's bike workout. And I thought to myself, how does try to think I'm supposed to, to do this run workout? Like I, I, I feel tired, my body hurts and you go out there and you start running and, and you, you go through the, the run warm up exercises and you get your body moving and, and you, you actually destroy that Sunday run workout because, you know, try, try not knew that the system you were using the day prior was different than the sister, the system you're using that day for, for that particular run. And, uh, you, you have ability in there that, that even though you necessarily weren't feeling it, uh, you, you can certainly do more than you think you can on, on certain days. And, uh, that the way it's all timed is fascinating. And, and, um, yeah, if I, if I have a tough Thursday bike workout and then and swimming the next day, you know, my, my legs can be fatigued from that bike workout, but, 
uh, they, they don't they don't need a full day off to do a swim. Uh, and, and so super, super helpful there, John, on all that. And something you see pretty often is is oftentimes, especially newer athletes, there's a uh, it, it makes sense that it to take that day off and to have an, a day where there is no there is no training, no activity to allow for that full um, recovery. But but kind of the rule of thumb that that uh, kind of flips that is when your training is properly um, balanced when the frequency of workouts is optimized, when the sequence of those workouts is optimized, when you're training at the proper volumes, when you're training at the proper intensities, all those things that Tridots Optimization does for each individual is you can train seven days perpetually. I, I using myself as an example, I've been training with Tridot for, for more than 10 years. Um, and vast majority of that time, I have trained seven days a week for, for weeks on end and been doing so successfully uh, without injury, without illness, anything like that. I've never gotten into a situation where I felt like I was overtraining. However, I do train seven days a week. And really, uh, when we look at optimized training, there is a certain amount of, of training that is appropriate for each individual given their, their objectives, their abilities, all that. So there is a certain amount of work that needs to be done, a certain amount of volume, a certain amount of intensity. Um, and so when we limit that, to six days in a week, that doesn't necessarily change the amount of work. That doesn't change the amount of sessions that um, are needed to be done, the amount of work we need to do. It just limits the amount of time we have to do it. So instead of having seven days to do all that work, we're now limited to doing that same amount of work in six days. So it's think about like, um, you know, when you have a, a wonderful three-day weekend, uh, for, for most of us in our careers, that doesn't mean we only have four days of work to do as much as we enjoy those four day work weeks. That doesn't mean we only have four days of work. Um, sure. it just limits the time we have it. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're out for a day, you know, everyone enjoys the occasional day off, but again, oftentimes when we come back, that means there's that much, we have to play catch up. We have to, you know, that first day is, you know, we end up doing two days worth of work. So it's, it's very similar in our training like that. So if we limit how many days we have to train either, one, we are missing out on opportunities. We are not doing the optimized amount of training sessions or the optimized amount of training, or we have to, to then double up. And there are certainly times where it makes sense to do that. There are certain um, athletes, there are certain um, times in our lives where we don't have availability of seven days, and, and we can absolutely make that work. But um, as a rule, the, the kind of best case scenario is taking advantage of all seven days uh, to get in your training. The R in FSR stands for readiness. Uh, now, I like thinking about my readiness as an athlete because the term just transports me from my podcasting chair to the race day starting line. When I think of being ready, I picture myself on the start line, well-trained, feeling great, and ready to destroy. But... Scientifically, guys, what is readiness and how do we measure it? So performance readiness is a metric that describes your state of recovery and ability to perform at your best. It's a it's a one to ten scale with ten being the most ready to perform. Um, so it is derived from your NTL, your RTS, your RTS 7, uh, among other factors. So again, it's just giving you a, a representation, a quantification of how ready you are to, to go out and perform. So um, it, it's again, a one to 10 scale that can be broken down. Like one and two would be very low, uh, readiness, uh, three and four would be low five to six moderate, uh, seven to eight is high and nine to 10 is, is very high. So both, uh, that high of, of seven to eight, uh, and very high nine to 10 are, are good. So 
um, as you are approaching race day, uh, that is obviously the most important time uh, to to be ready uh, to to have that sure, higher number yeah. realized. Um, but uh, these there's largely an inverse relationship um, with your readiness number and your performance gains. So when you are doing that work that um, is going to produce the readiness and perfor- uh, produce that race day performance, you're not going to be ready. So you kind of have that inverse relationship. Uh, with that. So largely throughout your training, as a rule, you're going to see those lower numbers because you're not ready to perform. You're doing work that is going to eventually get you ready. Uh, and that work that you were doing is preventing you from being ready. So that's where um, that reduction in RTS, the reduction in RTS 7 uh, allows for uh, the increase in readiness. So again, we're dropping the training load so that the body can um, can heal, rest, recover, and be ready to perform at its best on race day. John, can we, can we like institute like a negative two on this? I know it goes one to 10 right now, <laughs> but if we can add like a negative one and a negative two and have that be like, you broke yourself, do not race today. I, uh, I thought I, about bringing that up, um, <laughs> but there's not a negative number. To, to me, it'd be more for comedic value than actual. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think, I think you guys nailed it with the one to 10 scale. That's probably plenty, but um, you know, just, just as, particularly for athletes who, who are training, doing the right training, right with TriDot, you're, you're not going to be at risk of uh, putting yourself at a negative value of readiness, but, but, uh, so, so super, so just scientifically, uh, that readiness number. Cause I, again, I hear the word readiness and it's like, h- how do you mathematically quantify how ready somebody is? So, so it's taking the, the NTL, your normalized training load, the RTS, which is your residual training stress and the RTS seven, your, your seven day residual training stress average. And it's using those numbers to, to configure and, and, and quantify how ready you are, which is super cool. Is, is, am I understanding that right? That's that's right. There's other things that factor in there. Obviously, there's more to being ready. I mean, mentally, sure. emotionally. I mean, there's these other things that we don't have data. But as far as the data goes, the things that we can manage, manipulate, and optimize for the athlete. Yeah. Now that we've come to a clear understanding of fitness, stress, and readiness as terms and training concepts, let's talk about reading the FSR chart. Jeff, what do we need to know to understand what we're looking at? The first time I ever pulled this thing up, that there's, there's several different bars and graphs and colors going across it. And it took me a second to get my bearings. Uh, so help us get our bearings here. What do we need to know to read this chart? Backing up one step. If, if this whole thing is like, blows your mind, if it's over your head, if it's like, I don't want, you know, just personality, don't look at it. Sure. Yeah. Know that it's being done. Absolutely. Know that you're training, you're going to be ready. All of these things are happening. So you don't need to look at it. So this is for athletes that whether intrigue or, or motivation, or I just want to better understand. I mean, so I, I think, I don't know if it's 50, 50, but a portion of athletes are like, you know, I want to understand. I want to know that it's happening. I want to get up and take my medicine, do my workout and I'm good. So if you're in that category, you know, more power to you. That's great. Um, for others, if you're, if you're going to look at it, there, there's a page on predictive.fit website uh, that talks about the FF, FSR chart under the optimized training kind of walks through screenshots of the different things and points out some of the stuff that we've talked about on the, on the podcast. The first thing you'll notice um, in the chart is you can break it down, like John mentioned, um, based on discipline altogether or one, just pick them out. Um, but it, and, and it shows you not only what you have done in the past, but it pr- shows you the future. Here's what your training, optimized training going forward is going to look like. Um, and so you're able to see what's coming up, see your training load go up or down, and your readiness and all those values. So you can also go to the bottom in the legend and click on the different metrics. There's the RTS, RTS seven, which is a rolling average of the RTS, um, then the NTL normalized training load. So RTS is a pink line. That's the the hot. It's it's the stress. Um, 
RT is seven is a seven day rolling average. Then there's a kind of a shaded background of, of blue. That is the load. That's what the load that you're carrying over time is about 42 days. It's a weighted average based on the time. Um, it's not a simple weighting. Um, and then the last is the readiness. That's the green line. So you see an inverse relationship between the RTS. When you have a lot of stress, all of a sudden your readiness goes way down and then it'll gradually come back up. And then another injection of stress. And, 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 then and the that's okay. Goes down. That's what it's designed to do. So don't panic exactly. when you see that green line go down. That just means that you're that's in exactly a training right. spot where you're supposed to be taking on more stress and thus not being as ready yep. to perform. And so you can go to the chart and click on one. Just I want to see one of them at a time yeah. and look at just the stress or just the training, you know, your normalized training load. Um, and just kind of, you know, see it and it'll help you grasp and understand what you're doing and seeing when, when and why, you know, when you're building stamina, that's when your, your training load is going to go up when you're building, you know, more, your, your power up front, it's going to be a little lower, um, as your race approaches. And all of this, again, those are generalities. It depends on your performance level. If you're running, you know, sure. A sub four hour half, you know, things are going to look different than if you're doing that in seven hours. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything is relative. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty, pretty intuitive if you walk through it. And then again, there's a written form on the predicted about fit site, this podcast. And then I think if you just, you play with it, you should be able to, to make sense of it. And hopefully it's very meaningful to you to visualize it. Like you, you know, visual learner, I'm the same way you go into your workout, you kind of understand as you see things changing from week to week, you understand what's going on and, and why. Yeah. And, and to your point about like, like this is there for you to learn from if you want to learn from it. Um, yeah. So I, I personally, I mean, just a normal training week, you know, normal month to month, I don't go and look at the, uh, fitness, stress and readiness chart every single day, every single week. Um, I, I would peek at it, uh, once in a while when I was kind of building up to Ironman Waco, cause it was really interesting to see for the swim, bike and run how the, 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 the metrics would move in relation to each other and how, you know, when, when I would take on more of a load and, you know, when I was more ready and less ready. And it was just really kind of cool to see while you're in that race prep phase, but, but day to day, week to week, you know, you just got to log on the try dot, execute your training. You don't have to look at it by any means. Uh, it's just interesting to look at for, for those of you who uh, really want to nerd out. So, um, John, w when we're looking at the FSR chart, um, you know, Jeff kind of alluded that there's a couple toggles that we can do. We can toggle between looking at the swim, bike and run. Uh, we, we, we can see all three sports aggregated at once. Um, we, we, we can adjust which of the metrics, uh, that we're seeing or looking at and see any of them in isolation. Um, so, so John, what tips do you have for our athletes today, uh, for using these buttons and viewing options that are available to us? You guys have, have said it and alluded to it. I think the first thing to, to keep in mind when looking at your FSR is this is just informational. Um, the, basically the, the left side of the screen, uh, or I guess maybe Jeff as the, uh, uh, Aborigines would say the West side of the screen. Um, <laughs> yeah. that's, 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 that's in the past, you know, there's, uh, that's what happened. That's, uh, that, that's more of that descriptive data. Um, that's from your training files and, and that's, that's what you did. And then, uh, to the right or to the East, um, that is what is where that's where you're going. So this is just informational. Um, it's a graphical representation of, of your training cycles and, and really what is looking to be achieved or what is planned, uh, for your, for your training over, um, over the next few days, few, few weeks, months, you can, you can scroll out and actually see much larger, um, time periods, but, but there's nothing required of you. So, um, this is done automatically. As Jeff said, this is just a representation of what the optimization is, is doing for you. Uh, fortunately we don't have to make training decisions based on this information. Um, so all of that is done through, through the optimization engine. So again, it's largely, uh, informational for those that, that enjoy, um, learning more and seeing, seeing more about their, their training. 
So what I recommend to, to those new to the FSR chart and those that are looking at it perhaps for the first time uh, is to first break it down by discipline to make it more uh, digestible. So you can, again, look at all of these metrics across the swim bike and run in one chart, but it's going to be a little bit easier to, to see and, and, and draw relevant conclusions from if you're looking at uh, just the swim, just the bike, just the run. It'll be a little bit more context, a little bit easier uh, to, to understand. And even looking back and thinking back over the training that you've done, again, the, the, the left half of the screen is going to be what you did, um, most recently. So you can know, you know, what you did and think about, you know, I had a, a couple train, uh, stressful, uh, high, high intensity, uh, training sessions. And then I had a couple easy days. Uh, maybe I, I took a day off or missed a day. You're going to see that represented in there, um, in really, um, impacting all of these, all of these metrics. Um, so, so break it down by swim, bike, run, um, and even then you can look at the individual metrics, uh, at one at a time as well. So, uh, kind of, as Jeff mentioned, going back and referring to that article, um, that, that defines each one of these, look at each one on a, on, on just that one and understand what that means. And you'll understand now, yeah, I see the impact of this. I see what my training was, why it was that way. And I can see going forward that, um, it's going to be what, what it is. So, um, also it's important to understand the context of the season that you're in, um, what is the objective of, of what you're doing right now? And, and then what is, uh, coming up? So obviously if you are in a early season development phase, that's going to be very different, um, than if you are in a race prep phase, say six, eight weeks out from a long course triathlon, all these metrics are going to look different and you can see, um, from a, from a high level, um, where, where you're going. So if you're, um, in the early season where you're, you're working on that, uh, the, the fast and strong, uh, portion of fast before far, strong before long, then you can see later in the season as those long course races, um, approach where, where your, your, uh, metrics are going to be different because your objective is different. You go from really focusing on, um, power and speed to, to going long, um, and, and going far. So, uh, it, it's kind of neat to see all of that. So just have that understanding of what are these metrics? What are they telling me? Um, look at it one at a time. And then, and then you can look at them all together and kind of get, uh, kind of the big picture of what's going on with your training. Now, athletes that use a Garmin watch or a cycling computer are very familiar with their Garmin telling them whether or not their training was productive or unproductive. Garmin devices will also tell you how long you should recover before your next session. For example, after my five and a half mile run yesterday, Garmin told me I should recover for 47 hours, which is unrealistic in my opinion. Uh, so, so many platforms, right, beyond Garmin, I use Garmin as an example, but many platforms uh, and devices have similar suggestions and charts to tell us you know, how much training that, that we've done lately, you know, are these kinds of prompts helpful and worth monitoring and worth listening to, or should we largely just, just do our training and only monitor our FSR values on TriDot? I'd say maybe just none of the above. I'd say just do your <laughs> training. Um, I, I love Garmin. Um, I yeah. love them. They're, they're wonderful. There's a lot of great um, device manufacturing companies out there. We've used them the longest. World-class leading great devices. Quality. Yeah. Like, so, so no knock on them at all, but they don't optimize training. Yeah. That's what we do. So I think, you know, looking, just doing your training, doing what you're, you're supposed to do is the best way. You don't need to keep coming back to the FSR chart, you know, you know, my readiness, you know, it's just showing you to help you understand and conceptualize what's going on. So just do your training. Um, the, the reason I guess that I'd, I'd say focus on that, um, I won't even say just ignore the others, but we're doing things that they're not, um, they don't measure training stress. Like we do, they don't look at it by intensity type duration, just you know, your genetics, your, the distribution of it, the incremental value, they're not looking at environment normalized or any of those things to look at the training stress. 
Therefore, they're, they're also not looking at the residual training stress, measuring that and measuring half-life by energy system, by age, all that. They're not doing that. They're not normalizing, you know, when you do a workout at different times of day. It's taking an afternoon workout in the heat and humidity is the same as a morning workout in the cool. Um, it's not looking at that. It's not looking at genetics. It's not looking at, it doesn't know what you're just coming up. It doesn't know what your future plans are. So how, how rested do you need to be fully rested? Do you need to be partially rested? What, what are the next week or two weeks of training that we have planned for you? That's going to dictate what you do and how much you rest and is sure. your partial full recovery. Um, and then they don't optimize going forward. They're not using a data set. They're not normalizing across you know, all these people where they're able to quantify all those things to find those, you know, those algorithms that are going to optimize your training. So all of that is unique to, to try to that that's what we do. So I say, you know, trust your training. Um, we're optimizing it, you know, try that works, um, and, and do that. So it's not really a knock on anyone else and yeah. nor is it, a, you know, go, you know, keep watching. It's like, you want to lose weight. You don't wait, you know, every two hours, look at the scale and what is it have I lost weight yet. Um, so, you know, whatever that metric is, just don't get hung up on that. Do your training that's prescribed for you every day to the best of your ability and you're good. So we know there are ebbs and flows to our season as we build power and stamina at different times, you know, that the training morphs a bit as we slide in and out of race prep and development phases. What will we see on the FSR chart as we go in and out of race prep phases and development phases? Uh, you're going to see those ebbs and flows. Um, it's going to look a little bit like a mountain range, uh, kind of depending on what your schedule looks like. So um, I, I'm looking at mine uh, currently. So my, my season for the year, I've got an Ironman race um, in June. Um, and I, I came off a, a pretty low, um, training volume back in December. I had surgery, so I was out for several days and then, um, kind of had a slow ramp back up as I was recovering from, from surgery. So I started at a very low number, um, back in December. And then what needed to happen was my, I wasn't in my race prep phase yet. Uh, I wasn't, uh, having those incrementally longer sessions to prepare me for the Ironman distance, but, um, I did need to increase my training load so that I could do that training at the appropriate time. So what we see in my chart is basically from December, January, February, my NTL increasing. So what that was doing was preparing me for, for those future training sessions. Um, so from there, it, it largely leveled off as I completed um, my development phase. Now, of course, um, there are these other metrics that are, are, are more acute peaks and valleys. So even within uh, the individual sessions, you would have um, the, those those spikes and, and recoveries. Um, but but kind of at a high level, what we're seeing is um, early in the year, my, my training load built uh, to that steady level to support my future training load. So then um, just in the last couple of weeks here in, um, in, in March and into April, I really started uh, into training specifically for that Ironman distance race. So I started having those incre incrementally longer uh, training sessions. So what I see now is is beginning to to increase that NTO. Um, all those other metrics are also uh, increasing. So the RTS, the RTS seven, uh, those are increasing as well. And then if I look forward, uh, I can see that that NTL has a peak right there um, around race day. But again, fortunately, at the same time, uh, readiness is also hitting a high there. So uh, throughout those times, that readiness number uh, number comes and goes, but it stays relatively low. Uh, but then, um, as race day approaches, it, it gets back there up into, to that high 10, 10 value. But, uh, even within there, you can see your, um, your micro cycles or your weeks within those macro cycles, the larger ones. So generally what we see are a few weeks, two to three weeks of, of increasing. Um, and then there's that recovery week where, um, 
your your RTS is down, RTS seven is coming down, your recovery is going up, your readiness is going up. Um, so you're going to see those ebbs and flows represented within that chart. Uh, and again, it's it's kind of cool to uh, zoom out and see a, a larger time period. Uh, I think that's also a good tip uh, for for beginners. Is sometimes it's easier to look at. Um, a couple macro cycles, a couple months, um, and, and and even like an entire year to see here's where uh, I'm starting. And then I'm, I've got this big race um, where, where my training load is going to be high. My stress is going to be high leading into that. Uh, but then my readiness is also going to high, be high at the end of that phase. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Last week on the podcast, we had our Wordle warm-up question where we asked, if the Tridot software engineers were to make a triathlon version of Wordle called Tridle, what word would you choose to throw out there next if you were in charge of the daily Tridle word? Now, we got a ton of great responses, really highlighting how many five-letter words there are in our sport. Jeff, John, I, I know both of you gents are Wordlers, so uh, you know, if, if it were up to you, what word would you choose in a game called Tridle? Jeff Boer, what do you think? Faith. Um one is in a couple of different aspects. One is your why. Like, why do you do that? What is your bigger than you purpose sure. of, of, of doing it? Kind of. Uh, and then the other is faith in, in yourself and that you can do it. Sure. And, and believing um, that, that you can overcome, that you can accomplish. And, and you have to have that faith in yourself and the process, uh, in your support group, your family, you know, all of those things. So. All right. Very good. Absolutely love it. And uh, John Mayfield, what would you pick here? So I, I would pick one that kind of stabs at the type A um, personality of most triathletes that I would infuriate everyone, perhaps. Uh, so I'm going to go with a word that's not technically a word. It's more of a, okay. uh, a you know, but it, but it kind of has become in our vernacular. So going back to our very first discussion of, of words and meanings, um, most of our users understand and know what DTRTR is. So I'm going to go with doing the right training right, abbreviated down to D no vowels. And to be like, where are the vowels? This isn't a word. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people will be really upset and I would really enjoy that when, uh, I don't know, maybe break some streaks or something. But, uh, so <laughs> on the podcast last week, you mentioned several other alternatives, uh, to Wordle, like, like Tridal would be, um, yeah. there's one that I play called Weasel that, um, is, is for Weezer fans and it's all, uh, words that are within <laughs> Weezer songs. And there was one the other day that was misspelled. I have no idea what that is. And I, I was, I was it. largely indignant. I was like, that is not how you spell that word. It was like, it was a six letter word that they'd like crammed into, to five letters. So, um, I kept playing, um, <laughs> so I didn't stop me. So I'm, I'm going to go with DTRTR doing the right training, right? All right. Very what good. What is Weezer? We Weezer's is a band. Weezer? Yeah, Weezer's a band. Okay. Jeff. Yeah. Uh, All right. Really popular for uh, for John's era of music lovers. So uh, I, I I like Weezer's, Weezer's recent cover of Africa. That was that was good. Uh, yeah. I I play uh, I play Worldle, which uh, isn't even a word game. It, they give you like a country, the outline of a country, and you have to guess what country you think it is. Um, and then each time you guess, they tell you how far away you are, uh, and in which direction the actual country is. And so even if you have no idea by the outline what country you're looking at, you can kind of sometimes narrow it down just by making geographically smart guesses. Uh, so I, I, I do that one and really enjoy it. But anyway, tons of great options out there. This should absolutely be a tridal. Uh, I'll, I'll have to get the, the Tridot software engineers on this uh, ASAP because it's so important, right, to have this. But um, So our, our users um, threw out several great options, and I asked both of you guys to go take a look at what people said to this question, and, and all three of us have come with our three favorite responses on what 
the Treadout audience had to say. So, um, John Mayfield, what, what were the three things that our users said, the three words they threw out there that you just really loved? I went with kind of the, the high end, the finer points of triathlon, uh, chafe, vomit, and cramp. <laughs> so you went with like the, the negative things, like the downsides of triathlon. It, it's all about perspective, you know, negatives, positives, rewards for a race well run. I mean, whatever, whatever you look at it. Okay. All right. Chafe, vomit, and cramp. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds like a law firm or something. Um, I, I, I picked a, a couple here. The first one, uh, a guy said shirt and metal, because th- those are the two reasons why we do this, right? You do it for the shirt and you do it for the metal, both five letter words. Um, now my answer to this question was carbs because I love carbs. And so a lot of people went the food route as well. They were totally tracking with me. Uh, we had users say toast. We had users say pizza. We had a user say Oreos. Uh, and one of our uh, Trout ambassadors said Esther, which will please our friends at Delta G. Uh, you know, the, the, the Delta G ketone, ketone. ester is a, is a, a, a great way to fuel uh, your training and racing. Um, so all fuel things there. Now, I will say that, that toast for me is much more a description of how I feel rather than what I eat. <laughs> Sure. Yep. Uh, also true. Um, the the other one that I really liked, um, and I, I don't even know how to say this word. It, it's P S O A S. It, it's like the muscle, like near your hip flexor. So ass. Did you, are you guys familiar with that? So, so ass is that how you say it? Yep. Um. So so your so ass. It's where ass comes from. That that would a hundred percent have tripped me up. There's no way I would have guessed that word in a thousand years, which is why I thought it was a very very clever pick by one of our athletes. Uh, Jeff Jeff Boer, close us out today. What were the three audience suggestions for trital words that you liked the most? I really like learn. Okay. Well, that was great. Learn about yourself and, and the sport. Um, trots. And I'm not <laughs> sure if that was a verb or a noun, if like she trots to her transition spot or he had the trots all morning. I, I remember reading that one. So that athlete specifically, Jeff, uh, they, they put trots down after listening to last week's podcast episode. <laughs> um, so that was definitely trots as in I'm going to uh, go, go to the potty Got and the drop trots. some, which potty was also a five letter word somebody suggested. But, but yeah, th- th- that, that was the, the, the trots as in number two. So I saw, just saw the list. So, um, the last one, uh, classic triathlon word, uh, brick. Mm, yeah. Gotta love it. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank Tridot founder, Jeff Boer and coach John Mayfield for talking fitness, stress, and readiness with us today. Shout out to Delta G for partnering with us on today's episode. Head to their website, deltagketones.com to learn more about fueling with ketones and book your free 15-minute consultation. When you place an order, use code TRIDOT20 to get 20% off your Super Fuel Ketone drinks. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics that you want to hear us talk about? Head to trydot.com slash podcast and click on Submit Feedback to let us know what you're thinking. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.